Awesome. Thank you, team. So good to open up the Word this morning. Um, I just want to say, I just got a text message 20 seconds ago. Um, someone just sent me a text, said we're in for five grand to support uh, Baptist World Aid. So that's pretty amazing. Um, I'm just seriously humbled to be part of such a generous church. And I said that before, I'll say it again. Uh, it is incredible to be part of a church that is generous uh, in supporting the work we do in our church, the work we do locally, and things that we're supporting globally. And praise God for the generosity of uh, all the people in our church uh, who give so generously. Um, this morning, hey, we're going to talk about Jeremiah 32. Before we get into that, I want to kind of ask a question. How are you tracking? How are you doing? Uh, I was talking to um, uh, to someone uh, earlier this week. In fact, I was part of a conference, and we we're in a in a group discussion via Zoom. And uh, someone said, described um, the past couple of months and the time now in a way that connected with me. They said uh, it's been a little bit like a cyclone. Uh, going back to about March into early April, he said it was it was like the start of the cyclone when the winds, this massive storm hits, and everyone had to scramble to try to figure out how to do work and how to do life and how this was impacting. And I know for me that that kind of four to six weeks was incredibly stressful. But then, kind of like the, the eye of the storm, there's this, been this couple of months in the middle where things have actually kind of found a new rhythm. And suddenly I've been at home more and with the family more. And uh, we've kind of got online church established and everything's kind of actually felt okay and, um, and kind of calm. And now, just in the last week or two, uh, things are starting to open up again. And that's exciting because I'm keen for that. But I've got to say, I've begun to feel like it's a bit of a, a storm again, you know, trying to figure out how do we do church? When can we come back together? And, and what does this all look like for children's ministry and youth ministry and all of these kinds of things? And sort of that smooth quietness of being at home all the time, that is now changed. I'm doing lots more meetings. I'm going out more. And it's all starting to ramp up again. And so I just want to encourage you that in this time, um, firstly, as a church, I, I, I sense it as a church, the online church thing and Zoom groups. Look, let's be honest, it's getting hard and we're all getting a little bit over it. But we've got to keep hanging together as a church, as a family. We've got to hang together in tough times. And then secondly, in whatever this means for you in terms of a storm, in terms of the challenge of, of setting things up again, firstly, I encourage you to think about what do you need to go back to and what do you not need to go back to? Like, what do you need to sign up for again and what can you actually let go? But also in this time, just continue to hold strong with the Lord in your faith and prioritize that as you come out of this season. Because this is we've had a bit more time, we've had quietness, and now it's getting busy. Let us not um, keep prioritizing the importance of following Jesus in all we do as we come out of the season we've been through. So let's get into Jeremiah chapter 32. This is a little story in the midst of this book of Jeremiah, and I love it. I'm excited to preach on it. I think this tiny little example of this thing Jeremiah does is so awesome. I think there's so much in it. It's one of these passages where you can read over it and you kind of like go, uh, it's, it's Jeremiah buys a field, right? That's what it is. And you can kind of read it and you go, well, Jeremiah bought a field. Great. Uh, but as you start to study it and really look into what's going on here, there's a powerful word that God wants to bring us. So let me read Jeremiah chapter 32, then I'll pray, and then we're going to get into this uh, word. 
Jeremiah 32, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to uh, the end of 15. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, uh, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shamel, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field in Anathoth, because as nearest relative it is yours, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field in Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin, since it's your right to redeem and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Barak, son of Neriah, the son of Manasiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard." In, the presence, in their presence, I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Horses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Let me pray. Then I'm going to get into the word. Heavenly Father, I pray in the knowledge that your word is a light into our path and a lamp to our feet, that you will illuminate this word by your Holy Spirit this morning, that it might speak to every single person who is hearing this message both now and throughout the weeks to come. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me again go back over the historical document. We're doing this series on Jeremiah. I don't want you to get to the end of it and uh, have someone say to you, what's the book of Jeremiah about? And you're like, well, it's about uh, some guy called Jeremiah. I'm not sure about the rest, okay? So here's the context. Make sure you know this context. This book is about a man named Jeremiah who is a prophet. He's called to be a prophet. He's someone who hears God speak to him, and then he shares that with the people of uh, the Israelite people. Now, Israel at this time is broken into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and a southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And uh, Jeremiah is speaking to the southern kingdom, to its king Zedekiah. The capital of Judah is the city of Jerusalem, the holy city of Jerusalem. And surrounding 
the, the whole nation of Israel and Judah uh, was a whole lot of nations and those nations were hostile. Uh, Israel was constantly under threat and in fear of its neighbours attacking, okay? Times haven't changed a great deal. Israel still surrounded by hostile nations. And um, in the midst of this there's, this, there's this constant sense of threat. And Jeremiah is commissioned to go and say to the people of Judah that they need to repent because they've turned away from God. In fact, they've done two, two primary ways that show that they have um, turned away from God. One is that they're worshipping idols. They're not worshipping God. God alone, they're doing that in the temple, but then they're going out and they're, they're giving their heart and their attention and their worship to other gods. And the second sign that they'd turned away from God was actually that they'd neglected the poor in their communities. Really interesting on a Sunday, we're focusing on the global poor. Jeremiah said, you've got to repent. And if you don't, what's going to happen is the nation of Babylon is going to come and take your land. And uh, that was his main message, but his message also had a message of hope. He said, after they come and take your land, there will be restoration. They won't have it forever. God will restore the nation of Israel. And this passage in chapter 32 is what we're seeing happening right here, is that this, uh, this prophecy is beginning to be fulfilled, right? Babylon has invaded the nation of Israel. They've taken the whole land and they've got right to the gates of the city and the walls of the city and they have besieged Jerusalem. If you've ever seen any kind of medieval or, or, or sort of historical movie about a siege on a city, it's a pretty powerful image, right? There's a whole army gathered around the walls and Jerusalem is surrounded. There is no escape for the residents of Jerusalem. And all the people from the surrounding towns and the farming areas would have, would have uh, pushed back and gone into the city. Then they would have shut the gates and they're trying to hold fast in that city and what would happen an army would come against the city and they'd besiege it and they'd slowly try to break through the gates or break down the walls or sometimes they'd just hold out and wait for the people in there to begin to starve and then the people would surrender and that's exactly what's going on here verse 2 the army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem that's the first thing secondly is that Jeremiah's in prison uh, verse 3, it says, uh, Now the king of Judah had imprisoned him in the courtyard of the guard of the royal palace. He'd been put in prison. He'd, in fact, been beaten, put in a dungeon. They got him out of the dungeon. They put him in another area, in a, in a courtyard. And they basically said, Feed him bread until the bread runs out, and then we'll let him starve. And that's Jeremiah's situation that, we find, uh, that he finds himself in when we come to this passage, right? The city's under siege, and uh, he's in prison. And I want to talk this morning about not just buying a field. What I really want to talk about is how do you be, become radically obedient to the will of God? How do you become radically obedient to the will of God? Because ultimately, um, what a picture that would be if we we're a church where every single person was radically obedient to the will of God. Like, what would that look like? That would just be unbelievable and just incredibly powerful if a church full of people just became radically obedient to the will of God. If one person is radically obedient to the will of God, that's a powerful thing. If a family is radically or, or a married couple are radically obedient to the will of God, if a church collectively is radically obedient, what a powerful thing that is. So how do we do that? The first thing I want to highlight is that if you want to do that, you need to choose to listen to words you don't want to hear. 
You've actually at times got to choose to listen to words from God that you may not want to hear. And this is a theme that runs right through Jeremiah, that Jeremiah is coming time and time again, and he's bringing a word to the people that they don't want to hear. He's bringing a word to the king, and the king doesn't want to hear it. He's refusing to to listen because it's not the word that he wants, but it's actually the word from God. You see, there was another prophet, prophet at the time. It's spoken about through this book called Hananiah, not Jeremiah, but Hananiah. And every time Jeremiah came and preached a message, Hananiah would back it up with a different message. He'd preach the message that the people wanted to hear. Jeremiah says, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. Hananiah comes along and says, within two years, it'll all be over. What do you think the people, or who do you think the people listen to? They wanted to listen to Hananiah, not Jeremiah. Jeremiah used to walk around with this wooden yoke, like a thing that would bind two oxen together. And he'd walk around all the time, walk around the city with this thing around his shoulders saying, you're going to be in slavery, you're going to be in slavery. (laughs) What a dude, hey? And uh, then Hananiah came along one day and he grabs it off Jeremiah and he smashes the yoke. And he says, we'll no longer be yoked in slavery. It's not going to happen. And you could just imagine everyone around saying, yeah, go Hananiah, get rid of this dude. You know, what a message, oh, we're going to be in slavery. So he smashed the yoke and Jeremiah said to him, mate, you've got rid of a yoke of wood, it's going to be replaced with a yoke of iron. How often in life are we willing to hear a hard word from the Lord? What do we want to hear from God? In all honesty, what do we want to hear? We want to hear health. We want to hear success, we want to hear prosperity, we want to hear progress, we want to hear growth, we want to hear security, and we want to hear happiness. That's what we want to hear. Are we willing to hear when God calls us to repent? Are we willing to hear when God brings us a word of correction? Are we willing to listen when God says, hey, there's a season of refining coming? Are we willing to listen when God says, hey, I want you to go to that person who's wronged you and forgive them? I want you to actually change your ways. What are, are we willing to hear that word? I've been reading uh, a book recently called uh, The Emotionally Healthy Leader by a guy called Peter Scazzaro. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it. And he says this about, about it hearing God's voice. He says, The degree to which we are open to any outcome or answer is the degree to which we're ready to really hear what God has to say. If we are overly attached to one outcome versus another, we will not hear God clearly. Our spiritual ears will be deafened by the racket of our disordered loves, fears, and attachments. In such a state, it's almost a foregone conclusion that we will confuse our will with God's will. And he borrows from St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius said this, If we were truly free... We wouldn't worry about whether we were healthy or sick, rich or poor. It shouldn't even matter if we have a short life or a long one. We place our lives in God's hand and trust him for the outcome and seek to follow his will wherever it leads. Now that's pretty full on. And it's true, of course, no one wants to be poor rather than you know financially secure no one wants to be sick rather than healthy and it's not saying we shouldn't worry or have any concern about that but what it's saying is to if we if we're going to really follow Jesus then we should really follow Jesus wherever that leads 
And one thing I'm convinced is that firstly, Christians don't give God enough time to speak, that whenever we come to pray, we do all the talking, we rarely stop to listen. But secondly, when we do stop and listen, sometimes we're like, God, speak to me. What do you want to say to me? And then he speaks and we're like, uh, have you got something else, God, to say to me? <laughs> I wasn't so keen on that one. Uh, can you say, hold on, you've just given me the same message again. Not so keen on that. Can you give me something better? If you want to be radically obedient, you need to listen to what God's saying, even if it's a hard word. Sometimes we read the word and it'll be like, you know, Jesus says, love your enemies as yourself and bless those who persecute you. We read that and see that that's a wonderful principle for someone else to follow. It's a hard thing. How often in churches do I come across situations or hear of stories where one person can't forgive another person? The word of God says, forgive those who trespass against you. People find all sorts of justifications not to do that. There's a hard word. Radical obedience says, do the hard things that God calls us to. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's there praying on the night that he is betrayed, on the day before he is crucified, and he's, he's in agony as he deals with the reality of what is about to happen, and he's praying to God, and he says, Lord, if it is possible, what does he say? Take this cup from me. If it's possible, take this cup from me. But then he says some of the most powerful words you could ever say in prayer to God. He says, yet not my will, but yours. And here's Zedekiah, puts him in prison. Jeremiah, why do you keep saying this stuff? I don't want to hear this stuff. Are we willing to hear what God has to say for us, even if it's a hard word? Obedience to God, radical obedience, come from being willing to hear a hard word, not just an easy word. Let's go on to, to read verse 6 to 8. Uh, this is the part about the buying of the field. Uh, he says that God says to him, hey, this guy uh, who's your uncle, Hanamel, is going to come to you and he's going to say to you, you need to buy this field and, um, uh, and, and you should buy it. Now, here's the situation. Let's get this right. The field's out in the land that has just been captured by the Babylonians, the scariest army on earth. Uh, Jeremiah is in prison where he may not ever be released and he may starve. The Babylonians are at the gates and they're about to break into the city and bring murder and destruction to the, to the uh, country and to the people and to the city. And in this moment, uh, he gets told, hey, this guy's going to come and try to sell you some land and you should buy it. Now, I've bought real estate before. And I know a few things a little bit about it. In fact, I got a degree in, in business property. There you go, from a long time ago. Um, but uh, there's a few things you should do when you're about to buy property. One, you need to pick the right time, right? There's a right time and there's a wrong time. There's a good time and there's a bad time. When your country's under siege and it's been taken over by another country, that's a bad time. When your city is about to be destroyed by another country, that's a bad time. And when you're locked up and may never be released, that's a really, really bad time. It's not a good time. Uh, you know, if you're buying a property, you should go out and have a look at it and check it out. All of these kind of things. And uh, does Jeremiah do any of these things? Does he have the opportunity? No, he does not. He's just told that he needs to buy it. Now, the guy Hannah Mill, he's a bit of a, a dodgy character, I think. He just rocks up. And he's like, uh, you know, you should buy this field. Hanamel knows that he's probably going to be sent into exile. He knows that field is basically worthless. He knows they may never, ever get it back. It might be 50 years, 100 years till they're ever able to farm that land. Right? That land is basically worthless. 
And you here he comes along saying, you know, come on, Jeremiah, you should buy it. It's your, uh, you've got the right to do it, so you should do it. But Jeremiah says this. He says, I knew this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field. I knew this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field. Uh, you want to be radically obedient to God, here's something else you should do. Trust God's voice even when it contradicts the world's wisdom. Trust God's voice even when it contradicts the world's wisdom. Now, I, I, I think in the grand scheme of people who have done radical things for God, I don't put myself, you know, if, they, if they're up here, I'm sort of somewhere down here. But I want to tell you, I remember um, when I decided I was going to leave my secure job where I had full-time, permanent employment, local government, I could never lose my job so long as I didn't do anything stupid or really wrong. Um, I'd been given a, you know, a car to drive. I, I had uh, a mortgage. I had a house. I had a wife, uh, Mel, and, and we were looking to uh, start a family fairly soon. And in that moment, I decided it was right for me to leave my job and start Bible college. And I remember when I uh, shared that with my work colleagues. And they, I think, basically thought I was a bit strange. <laughs> Basically, some of them thought, wow, that's great. You're sort of pursuing what you think, you know, you're, you're called to or that you're, you've got a sense of passion about it. That's good. But I remember going out for lunch on the last day. And by that time, I, um, I think I'd found out that I had been offered a three-day-a-week youth pastor's job. And so I was going to go from a full-time employment to a three-day-a-week youth pastor job and start Bible college. And I could just sense that just some of them just thought I was just doing the weirdest, most crazy thing. It made no sense. It doesn't make any sense to the world when you do something like that. And yet compared to what I did, there's people who will be listening to this message this morning, who are part of our church family, who will be listening to this message from other parts of the world who have done stuff that's even more radical. We were a couple, and I won't say their names for security reasons, but most of you know who, who they are. They're probably listening to this message from the nation of Jordan right now. You know, the call of God comes on their life. Move to Jordan, move to the Middle East. That's pretty tough uh, for blokes. It's probably even harder for women to go into that culture and seek to live amongst those people, to take a step of faith, to rely on the, the provision from other people, all of that stuff. This message will be heard by, by another couple, Mark and Lorene Van Rossen, who many of us know, who have been serving God faithfully in Papua New Guinea over many, many years. I wonder what, what, what response they got from people when they said, hey, we're going we're gonna to leave our jobs, we're going to leave our work, we're going to study at Bible college, and then we're going to move to Papua New Guinea so that we can translate the Bible for the people of Papua New Guinea into tribal, different tribal languages. Wow. What about Wa Stone, who we've supported for many years as a church, who said, I'm going to move to Vietnam and dedicate the rest of my life to helping people with disability in Ho Chi Minh City. That doesn't make sense. None of that makes sense according to the world's wisdom. But God calls us at times to be radically obedient and not just in the big thing. Don't just wait for the big call. Sometimes it's just in the little detail of your life. I heard a story about someone else uh, this week who um, uh, is looking to go into a mission situation and financially is under strain and they went to their letterbox and found that someone had put money in their letterbox anonymously. People only do that because they're not following the wisdom of the world. Because in the wisdom of the world, when you give something, you give so that you get. 
right? You give so that, you know, you're, I'm going I'm to join, pay my membership uh, and, and I'm going to pay to go to the football or something like that. And, and the amount that I pay depends, the quality, depends on the quality of the seat or I'm going to join the Qantas club or something and I'm going to pay more to get a better seat on the plane or to go into the lounge area or whatever. It's everything that we do has a benefit that comes from the money that you give. And yet what we're called to give as a church, we give to stuff where it's like we give anonymously and I'm going to give as a pastor exactly the same care and love and attention to the person who's given nothing, to the person who's given incredibly generously and sacrificially because here's the deal, I don't even know what people give and I make it that way so that my care and my love is not affected in any way by understanding people's giving or lack of it. Who would give in such circumstances? People who are following God obediently and radically. Amen? All right, here's the next one. If you want to uh, be radically obedient to God, there's a third thing you need to do. You need to sow a seed before the rain falls. You need to sow a seed before the rain falls. You know, uh, uh, my brother-in-law is a, is a farmer. I'm not sure if he's listening in right now. But there's times like this year when the rains came early and they wait till it rains and then they get the, the tractor out and they sow the fields, right? Um, but there's times when the rains don't come and they do a thing called dry seeding. What they do when they do dry seeding is they say the rains haven't fallen and the ground is dry, but we're going to actually, in faith, sow the seed into the ground, trusting that the rain will come. You know what Jeremiah does here in buying this land? is he actually sows a seed trusting that the rain will come. In Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites actually enter the promised land by crossing the Jordan, which is in flood, and they get ready, and they're all standing there, and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they actually approach the water's edge, and, and the waters don't part until they step into the water. Until they step into the water. You see, when the, when the Red Sea parted, Moses held up, the, held up his... Um, big stick thing, I've forgotten the name of it, um, staff, his staff, thank you, those who are in the room, and the waters parted, but when they crossed the Jordan, he, there was no staff, and they just, they just approached the water, and they stepped into the water, and as their feet touched the water, then it started to move back. Isn't that interesting? So often we're like, sometimes we can be like, we want to wait for the waters to part. We say, God, part the waters and I'm ready to walk through. And what God actually wants us to do, radical obedience is saying, I'm going to take a step into the water before the waters have even begun to part. I'm going to sow a seed before the rains even begun to fall. I'm going to buy a field even as the army is at the gates. That's radical. That's radical obedience. Buying a field. Sometimes we've got to sow that seed. Sometimes we've got to step into the river. Sometimes we've got to buy that field it's interesting uh, as a church right now we are seriously looking at seeking to try and buy a field because we're going to we're going to build a new facility for those who are part of the congregation at Verdun so that they might move into their own building and have a ministry through that facility to the community around them for decades and decades to come just as almost 50 years ago, in fact, 50 years ago uh, this year, a group of people invested in this property in which we are now ministering from, in faith they invested in it, and for decades since, it has been a place where the gospel word has gone out. Uh, is it a good time to buy a field? I don't know. There's been a lot of economic and financial hardship in people's lives, but we are stepping forward because we think it's the right thing to do. <sighs> There's a little bit more in this story I want to finish with. 
Let's go on to verse 14 and 15. In fact, this is the best bit. Verse 13 to 15. He buys the field and he takes the deeds and he says this. He says, let's get a clay pot and put the deeds and put them in the clay jar. This is verse 14. Uh, Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deeds of purchase and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. What is this about? Well, it's explained in verse 15. He says, For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. The Babylonian army have surrounded the city. They're besieging it, and they're about to break down the walls, and that's what's happened. And they come in, and they bring destruction, and they exile a people. But somewhere in the midst of that event, As the Babylonians break down the walls, as they take the city, as they remove the people, as they take them back to Babylon, as they as they destroy the buildings and the palaces and all of this stuff, somewhere in that city, hidden away, is a clay jar. And in that jar are the title deeds of someone who took a step of faith and believed that the event that was taking place was not the end, but there was hope beyond that event. That's what the clay jar means. And, you know, um, I want to share with you actually a prophecy, a prophecy that someone was given at this very start of the year on the first Sunday of this year. Brenton Hill shared this with me, that as he was sitting in church, God gave him a word. And that word was a prophecy uh, that he was about to jump up and share and he thought about that and he decided he wouldn't. But then he shared it with me at the start of this whole COVID-19 crisis. And I think it's a word for this time. And this is the word, that, this is the vision that he was given as he sat in church on the first Sunday of the year. He said, God showed me a rather alarming picture of a lighthouse on a really jagged, rocky and remote peninsula. It was being smashed and pummeled by huge and powerful waves, crashing over the whole structure. It was a beautiful solid stone tower whose stone walls were constantly being tested by howling winds and the ocean's forces. And cutting through the huge spray, crashing waves and heavy darkness was a pure, bright, steadfast light whose beams sliced through everything that was thrown against it. And God spoke to Brenton and described this scene. He said, The lighthouse is always built on a solid rock foundation. Our families and individuals' lives need to be built on a solid and sure foundation. God's Word, God's grace, His hope, His salvation. A lighthouse is built on this sure, solid foundation so that it can withstand the huge and constant forces and not crumble under any testing. He wanted to say that God spoke to him and said, our families will need to stand firm as storms will come and test our foundations. The beautiful, strong and elegant structure is not a lighthouse without the powerful, ever-present light aloft that shines through every darkness, wave and storm that is thrashed against us. Our loving Father God is this light. He is steadfast. He is our light, the light to our path. He is the light that shines through darkness, no matter how remote and fearful we may be. We are no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of an almighty Father God. We are in His protective hands 
and walk in His light. And that clay pot was placed there as a sign that God is faithful. If you want to be radically obedient, you know, you can hear all of this challenge about hearing a hard word and and doing something that goes against the world's logic. But in the end, there's going to be something that actually drives you to be radically obedient. That that, That is the foundation of radical obedience. And that is actually knowing that God is faithful even through the hardest times, even through a storm and actually building your foundation on God. And how is Jeremiah able to remain faithful through all the hardship and all the hassles and imprisonment and beatings and all the rejection and all the stuff that he gets and still speak God's truth? The answer is he's come to trust in God's faithfulness. And so he puts the title deeds in a jar as a sign and the jar is there, that, a jar that's there to, to last through this season. Because he knows that that while this is a time of destruction and death and all sorts of trial and difficulty, this season will not last. And there will be restoration and there will be hope in the future. And I want to just finish by sharing with you something from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because I was reading this this week and, and then it's like suddenly I had this kind of like, moment where I was reminded about this clay jar and it it linked to me a passage in the New Testament I was just like whoa this is awesome because in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 it speaks about another clay jar it says we have this treasure the eternal hope that we have we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We have a jar of clay. We are a jar of clay. And inside that jar is a treasure that is the eternal hope and security we have through our faith in Jesus Christ and His saving work on the cross. And so just as this jar sat there for years during exile and destruction and defeat as a sign that God was going to bring restoration to the land of Israel, in all our circumstances, we have this treasure sitting in our jar, in our very soul, which says we have an eternal hope that God is faithful. And when we hold on to that, it kind of changes everything. We stop grasping on to security in one thing and material things and security in our work or security in, in all in our relationships or security in whatever it is. We just say our security is in God, in God. My security is in God and His faithfulness. And on that foundation, I can actually take a step of faith, even in the hardest time. So may you... May you take out of this great passage, Jeremiah buying a field, an act of faithfulness in a season where it looked like the craziest thing in the world to do. May you continue to hold on to the hope that you have through Jesus Christ. And may you be willing to take radical steps of obedience and faith that push you beyond the limits that that look a bit strange to the outside world, but are actually actions that say God is faithful And He is worth serving and listening to and following because He is God and I am His servant and I am His child and I am His friend by the grace of God. Amen.
Let's pray together as the band comes up. Lord, always when I preach this, I have the sense that, you know, the word is for everyone who hears it, but there's always just a few people who the word is especially for. And this morning I want to pray for you if you've heard this word this morning and this word is especially for you and you know this is the word you have needed to hear. Maybe because you need to be reminded of the security you have in a faithful God. Or maybe it's because God is challenging you and actually wants to challenge you to hear a hard word that you've, you know God's speaking to you, but you've not wanted to take it up for whatever reason. So if, if this morning or whenever you hear this message, you are someone who's heard that and God is speaking to you specifically saying, there's something you need to take out of this, then I'm going to pray for courage and trust for you in God to take the step of faith in response to what God has put on your heart. I pray that God would strengthen you and fill you with His Spirit to take the step of faith that He calls you to. And may God do great things through that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.